0: This Broadway Bullet unedited interview is brought to you by the School of Theater and Performing Arts at the University of Providence, uprovidence.edu, and the Dramatists Guild Fund at dgfund.org. I love talking with people behind the scenes on Broadway Bullet. They often have the real dirt on what's going on behind the scenes. And I have not yet, though, talked to somebody who is specialized in special effects on stage. So we are so lucky to have Jeremy Chernick stopping by. Uh, I'm sure frantically working on the next effect in Frozen (laughs) opening in March. I think a couple of people are expecting that show some, to be like do okay business. They are. <laughs> they're doing. They're expecting
1: it to do okay. Yeah, it has a big song that a lot of people want to hear, <laughs> and hopefully want to see. Yeah, and hopefully want to see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, we did that in Denver, so it was out of town, and uh, it went really well. And it's we're gonna make some improvements and tighten it up and. It'll open on 44th Street at the St. James Theatre towards the end of March.
0: So I guess, first off, how does one get in or start specializing doing special effects? Um,
1: for me, it was, a, it was a lot of sort of happy accidents uh, because I don't think that it's a real... It, it, it's not a, a job that anyone says, like, I'm going to go and do this. Although, yeah. uh, I could take that back and film. Yeah. It's a job. Um, yeah. But a lot of those people who do it are the children of people who did it, and so there's a sort of uh, legacy portion to doing special effects, and I have no legacy. (laughs) Uh, But I started doing it, I uh, had my own theater company in the later 90s in Austin, Texas, and um, it was myself and two others, and we made these sort of... Exactly the kind of shows that people make in their young twenties. <laughs> uh, shows that where we did whatever we wanted, and we uh, thought we were breaking all the rules, which in fact we all the rules have been broken too many times yeah. to break anymore. Um, but we made all the shows ourselves, and um, those shows were very sort of puppet heavy and gore heavy, <laughs> and uh, so so we did a lot. We sort of sorted out a lot of things. Um, without having any sort of back knowledge. Um, And I've always been sort of handy. And then uh, magically from there, I started doing props uh, and got hired at Juilliard, which I didn't have any business getting that job (laughs) because I hadn't really done props uh, in any uh, official capacity. But I, I, I was always sort of good and handy and communicative. Um, and so
0: you're just teaching props or doing props for them? Uh, it's the- a
1: sort of combination. Mm-hmm. At Juilliard, it's a full production department mm-hmm. that runs uh, the drama and the opera and dance. So there's they, they do more shows than almost anyone I've ever <laughs> imagined because of the multi-departmental environment. But you're certainly working with the students. It's not in a direct teaching capacity in terms of a mm-hmm. class, but... You're making props, you're working with the students on how to behave around props. You're sort of creating a you know, well-rounded performer. Uh, and so in that sense, yes. Um, so, But I was in Lincoln Center then, uh, in the campus of Lincoln Center, and through a variety of ways, I started getting phone calls from other departments in Lincoln Center, and uh, at the time, uh, at that time, it was in early 2000s, uh, the Lincoln Center Festival was doing a lot of really exciting and interesting international shows that they were bringing in from all over the world, and it happened to be post-9-11. And they decided to bring in a very large troupe of Iranians to do an uh, Iranian passion play. And although they did get all the Iranians into the country, they did not get their props and weapons (laughs) into the country. And so I I, uh, helped get a bunch of swords that were period You're a weapons
0: smuggler. Yes.
1: I I found weapons all over the country that worked for them, and I started there. And then um, the following year, so I think this is, I'm guessing, but I think it's 2003 now, uh, they did a show called *The Orphan of Zhao*, uh, directed by Chen Shizhen, and the produ- production manager at Lincoln Center Festival called me, and I went to his office, and he, his name was Paul, is Paul King, uh, and he said to me, "Can you make me, uh, can you make blood for me at a dollar seventy-five a gallon?" <laughs> and I said, "Yes." Which was half true, because I didn't know whether it was true or not. I always tell people, (laughs) just say yes, and then... (laughs) And and then I went about making different samples of blood, um, and it turned out that that show needed about 2,000 gallons of blood. Wow. And it was, uh, so myself and a bunch of stagehands took a lot of disgusting ingredients and made 2,000 gallons of blood and made this giant lake of blood that had, the show was beautiful, and it had a white platform in the middle of it that was covered in paper, mm-hmm. and all the performers would walk through the blood and then up onto this platform, and they would make patterns on it. It was absolutely gorgeous. But in, re, in uh, getting back to how I got this, job, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but there were quite a few actual, legitimate special effects companies that wanted to make and deliver this blood. And uh, they get. I got that job, unbeknownst <laughs> to me that it was an actual job. And um, so as soon as that was over and that that worked out, uh, I got a few phone calls from strangers saying, asking me to come in for an interview. And uh, so uh, from there, essentially, I suddenly was offered much uh, some very exciting opportunities. And I ended up doing my first Broadway show as a special effects person, which was not at a designer level. I just made a bunch of really fun stuff for Tarzan the Musical. And then my second show on Broadway was um, The Pirate Queen, which... Very few people yeah. remember. <laughs>
0: well, I, I talked. to I think that's when I talked to Stephanie Block. Was when she... yeah. So there.
1: So I, I, I've done from there. I sort of diverted into more Broadway shows, but still have done a ton of uh, Lincoln Center shows. And uh, so I, I, for a long time, had my hand in a lot of different worlds. And even now, I work on television, and I work on theater pieces and dance pieces and photography shoots. And so, so I've, I've always tried to be very diverse in the work
0: that I do. Yeah. I think that's always a good Mm -hmm. thing. Well, what can you, I'm sure there's a lot of trade secrets. You can't tell us about frozen, which I think people are dying to hear about. (laughs) Um, And, uh, But what can you tell us about what what you're doing with the special effects?
1: I think that, so Frozen's being done in, I think, a a really beautiful way. Um, The director is Michael Grandage, and he uh, is a British director who has a very sort of Shakespearean background and a Shakespearean take to uh, what is uh, surprising for a Disney musical, (laughs) I think. Um, and so he's very—he's a very subtle director who's into really getting the uh, story moments and acting moments uh, to shine. And so in a lot of ways, Frozen is a super interesting and exciting uh, opportunity for someone who does special effects. Because if I had my way, <laughs> special effects would be... Um, invisible to the audience. It wouldn't be a, and now we're going to do this big moment that is going to knock your socks off. It's just, uh, for me, the best special effects in theater are the ones where you don't notice them at all or don't think about, like, how did that happen? Um, but they're really part, like, embedded in the, the, the fabric of the whole piece. And so... In Frozen, a lot of the times that's what we're doing. Um, <clears throat> we're creating sort of a, an under, uh, a background uh, vocabulary that is Elsa, the magical ice princess's mm. uh, environment, especially once she becomes powerful. So, a, a good example is that when she's walking around in her ice palace or uh, sort of wherever she goes there's sort of a cold, foggy feel to wherever she goes and, and what's around her, um, and I can say that. And, and that, <laughs> that's a very exciting uh, opportunity to sort of uh, help to define that character in a way that is not punch-in-the-face effect, mm-hmm. but uh, a, a subtle effect that's working with costumes and working with, uh, in this case, video mm-hmm. Uh, projection design and the scenery so that we're all um, working cohesively to sort of create this uh, Elsa walked in, (laughs) we're going to now make a whole environment around her that is telling so much story for her and so that the actors can shine. So that that was really exciting. Um, We'll be right back to this interview
0: in just a second.
1: Special thanks to our travel sponsor,
0: Our travel sponsor for this podcast is the University of Providence School of Theater and Business Arts. Learn the art of being an artist as well as the business of being an artist in this unique program at the University of Providence. Find out more information at broadwaybullet.com or at uprovidence.edu.
1: Special thanks to our location sponsor.
0: Writers need a full community of support in order to do their important work. That's where DGF steps in. The Dramatist Guild Foundation, DGF, is a national charity that fuels the future of American theater by supporting playwrights, composers, lyricists, and book writers at all stages of their careers. They do this by sponsoring educational programs, providing emergency aid to writers in need, and offering a free rehearsal space where I've recorded this episode. For any questions about how DGF might be able to help you, please visit dgf.org. And now, back to our program.
1: Other things that are exciting to me about that, which are very technical, Mm -hmm. is we are uh, able to do things like smoke effects in a way that uh, on Broadway, uh, I don't think have been done before. We are Mm -hmm. bringing in some technologies that have not... Uh, been traditionally done on Broadway but come from other kinds of industries so we've been able to sort of branch out and take ideas that are not traditionally theater and use them in theater we've also gotten to invent a couple of uh, different ways of delivering snow <laughs> that are not <laughs> traditionally uh, done, in some cases have never been done before so we got to make some machines And that's been really, really fulfilling and exciting. Um, And in a lot of ways is what's great about being able to work for a company like Disney is that they are, uh, the producers at Disney and Tom Schumacher is super into uh, trying to figure out a new way of doing something that might be more subtle or more interesting or just different than has been done before. And um, of all the producers that I've worked with, you know, they are... The champions of how do we do it better or differently, and that's been fantastic. Um, I've done a bunch, uh, a, quite a few shows with them, and they're super supportive of a very
0: strange job. <laughs> <laughs> how often do you get it wrong and have to go back to the drawing board? I a mean, ton, yeah, <laughs> a ton.
1: Um, I get it. Uh, that uh, I can't speak for all other areas, but I would say that my uh job has a very high level level of um, uh, failure is, the, is perhaps yeah. the wrong word, yeah. but things that don't work certainly yeah. don't work the first time and sometimes don't work exactly how everyone imagined. Uh, nowadays, uh, because of film and CGI yeah. and um, a sort of... And a youthful take on theater that I think has become very pervasive, especially in uh, straight plays and smaller plays, which I Mm -hmm. still do a lot of work on, um, or with young directors. There's a learning curve that I find I have to work within, um, which is that doesn't work in theater, or that is really a movie. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we... You'd have to build the entire show around this one yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. and it's not going to be successful. A good example, to me, is um, you know the violence. I do a ton of violence in theater, and the violence level over the last, I would say, decade. You're talking
0: about other than two stage designers who ask you to do the impossible.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but but like you know, uh, yeah. playwrights are writing yeah. uh, are writing very violent shows and um, often directors want it to be super hyper film realistic. Um, Also, shows are written in almost like a film edited form and you have to conform to that in special effects. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, a lot of times I think what people are expecting and what they get are not exactly the same. And a big part of, I think, what my job is, is communicating that as clearly as possible before anything else happens, I work in, I do a lot of demonstrations for directors and producers and other designers before we ever put it into a show so that we can see what it's gonna look like and everyone can sort of speak the same language and not be surprised later. Because absolutely, I have uh, had issues with. Um, People who expected the film to show up, the film version to show up, and, yeah. it, and sometimes that's not possible. Um, so, as, so we work hard to uh, to correct that
0: before we do it. <laughs> um, how often, when you talk about these fight, you know, mm-hmm. d- directors wanting stuff, do you find that there's a big difference? Are there a lot of these people that haven't experienced what it's actually like to film the fight in a film? Because um, we look and see that a film looks hyper realistic, but it's just as oh. So the, is, there, is there a disconnect even on how it's done? Um, even it, it depends on the director. Yeah. It
1: depends on the on the group, <laughs> and it depends on the actors. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I've done a I've done a bunch of shows with the director Trip Coleman, and he's directed quite a few different shows that have super youthful cla- casts, some of whom are stage actors and some of whom are from film backgrounds. And um, uh, a lot of those shows have violence in them of some form or another. And um, it's funny because uh, there was an actor I was talking to on uh, a show called Punk Rock that we did for the Manhattan Class Company. And he had done some film violence where a person who does my job would literally be standing right below the camera with a like paintbrush full of fake blood mm-hmm. and just flick it up onto mm-hmm. his face Which here, we can't do those types of things. Everything has to be hidden and seamless. And um, Tripp, who is amazing in his uh, ability to both understand how to work with those young actors and what he wants and pushes boundaries in a way that I find super exciting. Um, uh, We ended punk rock. It's a terrible ending. It's uh, Mm -hmm. high school and it takes place in a library in the end. And then an, uh, one of the characters comes on and does a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. And he wanted that to be uh, very, very powerful, very poignant and horrifying. So it's hard enough to sit in a 200-seat theater and watch a what seems to be a high school actor take out a gun and shoot a bunch of people. It's uh, even harder to actually splatter blood on the wall mm-hmm. and to do that. And the ways that I've talked to actors and dealt with actors on that is... Uh, and worked with the fight choreographer in that case, um, who was Day, uh, J. David Brimmer, um, was is to just talk to actors about how, in this case, you can't... You have to stop acting for a second. No one will know. Yeah. But in... It, it, which is hard for young actors often. But you have to, like, take yourself out of the acting and just go through the physical motions of... Uh, of what we're asking you to do, as unnatural or silly as they kind of are when you think about it. Um, because once I sort of take mm-hmm. over in my, we're talking about min, you know, two seconds of a whole play, yeah. um, I'm helping them tell that story by splattering blood or doing that sort of thing for them. Um, so, a, And and every actor is different. In that show, Punk Rock, there was a young woman who, and a young actress who was, absolutely terrified of the whole scene and doing all of the Mm -hmm. things we were asking of her. And we ended up modifying that to make her life more palatable Mm -hmm. eight shows a week. And there was one actor who loved it and was super into it. And we shot a giant blood cannon (laughs)
0: uh,
1: from behind him against a wall. So he had, he had his, brains that splattered <laughs> against the wall um and he wanted more mm. so we found ways to add even more levels to him uh uh that really i think was great uh so we have you just have to you have to work with everyone and uh that was Super successful. I feel rambly. Was that rambly? No, no. Okay. We well, more information. We got
0: lot, I got a lot more I'm gonna pull out of. You. Okay. Uh, we like podcasts. We don't have like you know network yeah. time limits to put in. Or, um, and I'm glad you're early because I knew I was gonna wanna pick yeah. your brain about a lot of stuff. I think you're. You do. You do stuff that a lot of us don't have any clue about. In the end, and I make up a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple of things just going forward. Definitely, that I want to get to is mm-hmm. um, I definitely want to get to near the end if you're willing to to talk about um, different ways theater companies, small theater companies on a budget, can maybe Absolutely. pull off some common things. Absolutely, I definitely want to get there. So yep. keep listening, people. Um, first, though, what are for some of the other shows you've worked on? What are a couple of your proudest moments? The the special effect that you designed that Absolutely. you're just coolest. Um, I
1: did a show for the National Theatre of Scotland called, uh, uh, Let the Right One In, which was based on the, uh, book and the movie, and, uh, that show was probably one of the most exciting, uh, shows, and I feel like my work was used some of the best ways, and, um... What was great about that show is it's a vampire show. It's about a young girl vampire um, and a young boy who really uh, is lonely and sad and their relationship. And it's very much a relationship piece. It's not about Mm -hmm. the blood and gore and vampire uh, genre. It was much more of a... In the play, it's a beautiful sort of uh, human story. And, uh, but... The stuff that I did, and in general, the whole play was geared around doing one thing really well in a scene and then moving on. Whatever that was, whether it was a choreographic moment or a scenic moment or an acting moment or a special effects moment, we, uh, as a group, we decided to go in, do the one thing really well, and move on. And so in that piece, I built with some great assistance and a great actress, um, a, a sort of cr- crown that fit underneath the actress's hair, um, and a crazy contraption that went down her side. That so, um, there's a moment in the story where uh, the young vampire uh, meets the goes to the boy's apartment, but she mm-hmm. can't enter without being invited, um, and he doesn't invite her in, uh, and he doesn't understand why, and she steps in the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had basically a a, a a bulb of blood that was under pressure and a switch under her armpit. Uh, and then that led to a, this crown of tubes that was all layered throughout her hair. And um, she would start to shudder and shake and react uh to the fact that she had stepped through the doorway, and then she would flip this little tiny switch, and all the blood would pour through that crown mm-hmm. and then run down her face, and it happened in. It, we just all worked so hard, and it, the blood just appeared. It was the mm-hmm. probably one of the most film like moments I, w- I have been able to do, <laughs> and that show was toured around the world at this point, and it that that's a that was a really triumphant moment. <laughs> Because the technology was super low tech, um, yeah. but worked just so well, so that was really really great. Um, that that that's a great moment. And then to go to another end of the spectrum, I did Aladdin in the musical, mm-hmm. and um, in Aladdin, they. Uh, I bet uh,
0: Disney needs a lot of special effects. I hope so. <laughs> I hope. They st- I, hope th- I hope.
1: So, <laughs> um, uh, so it, Aladdin, they the big giant. Uh, Almost finale of Act One is "Friend Like Me" when the Genie is first appears, and it is one of the most joyous num- uh, musical numbers I think I've ever worked on or ever seen. <laughs> it is just a masterpiece in in, um, in joy, and um, it ends with it, it has some pyrotechnics throughout uh, to uh, you know accentuate Genie magic. But it ends in, um, uh, towards the end of the number, the entire chorus comes out in a sparkly gold tap dance costumes and is doing this tremendous tap dance number with the lights going crazy. The set is gold. (laughs) And we, um, towards that very, very end, uh, uh, button that number with a whole bunch of uh, exciting fireworks. that i think just helped to make that finale of that number just bring the house down every night and when we were in previews it we got standing ovations at that in the middle you know that's mm-hmm. in the middle of it, of of an <laughs> act almost every single night and i think it still happens it that that was that's a spectacular thing and it took a long time to be able to figure out how to put fireworks yeah in a room with you know
0: curtains and people yeah all, all of that and where it can go
1: and how it can fit and and uh in some ways my job is where can it go and how can it fit um and uh and so th- those were two those are two really really like wonderful moments that I, I i've been honored to get to do
0: how stressful hair pulling are uh previews for you in general, in, in your, it totally in your depends
1: of- on the show <laughs> Um, uh, it totally depends on the show. They are. (laughs) They are. Um, I, I tend to go into the first preview calm and, uh, the third preview sort of nervous. (laughs) Um, it's harder, it's easier for me to go into, uh, the first preview because usually the show is sort of, we've run it three times and we haven't made big changes, but when we get into previews. Uh, we start to quickly in a day, maybe mm-hmm. redo a whole number, which means cues have moved, and 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 structure of the show might have changed. Mm. I might have put that into a console once without <laughs> much of a run, and that's those are the moments where I'm sometimes guessing on timing. The way that uh, the way that my stuff works technically is often um, I start an effect way before you see it. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a lot of time with a stopwatch um, saying, okay, if I turn this smoke machine on or if I turn this effect on, and it's a slow effect, it's going to take tick, 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 tick. Oh, 11 seconds until you even see it on stage. And so often, and it's a hard thing to communicate with stage management and directing and every other department, Often I have a cue that feels in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that a sage manager might be calling where I have to say, look, it's just, it's just a thing that is starting my thing really early so that by the time we get there, it happens. Um, and uh, a good example is there's uh, snow falls at a certain rate. It's fake snow. And yeah. so fake snow falls at a certain rate. And if it's starting so that it's out of your view and in sightlines at you know 2 feet above where even the f- the lowest person can see it and it falls at certain amount of time you can't call the queue when you want to see the snow you have to call the queue like mm-hmm. 2 seconds before you see the mm-hmm. snow and one day there's air conditioning, and suddenly you see the snow early, and you see the snow late. So there's a lot of, or they change a whole section of dialogue, and now I don't know where the two seconds before is, so I guess in previews, like, oh darn, that whole sequence is entirely about this arbitrariness of my schedule of, of gravity, and um, so so uh, it's pretty good, but... Uh, hopefully, in most shows, uh, by the second week of previews on a big Broadway show, things are fairly settled. And on smaller shows, um, I do a lot. I would say I do a lot, a lot of shows, but many of them I don't sit through the whole time because I'm doing the one scene or the one moment. And on those shows, I find it less stress- stressful on smaller shows and regional and off Broadway because their preview period, their tech period everything is condensed to a much more sane <laughs> length of time um i find those la- la- like those are those to me are are easier to deal with because usually yes i'm doing one big moment or two big moments and we can really focus on them and the staffing of those inv- those theaters are usually fantastic mm-hmm. and we can get them done and 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 move on so it, it just so depends and some uh, sometimes, I, usually what throws me off is that I don't know what's coming. <laughs> so uh, a good example is I did a musical called Big Fish that had a scene really? with a ton of low fog in it. And one night, uh, randomly, we were way into previews, uh, all the actors started slipping all over the stage and they stopped the show because it was so slippery on mm-hmm. stage and there was a malfunction in machinery that's my greatest <laughs> that's what keeps me up at night is the phone call from this broke mm-hmm. and something happened something mm. stopped
0: the show so on to a topic i'm sure a lot of Theater people that are working on a extreme budget, yeah, like the budget of my the budget is my credit card, yes, and there's like five dollars left. Which is on where the, I started <laughs> and where I still
1: spend lots of time.
0: What are some of the most common things you see people trying to accomplish, and maybe some some ideas to get them thinking in creative ways on how to Absolutely. solve those problems? The
1: most, uh, uh, I think that the most common uh, I, theater violence is the most common.
0: Yeah. Doing
1: blood effects and um, is probably the most common and probably the easiest to do um, inexpensively. Um, my favorite uh, low-budget theater trick of blood is um, is just exploding a bag <laughs> in your hand. Um, I've found a lot of good, exciting ways to to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been very creative or tried to be very creative about how I do that so you don't see someone just popping a blood bag. But I have done this, and I'm going to give away one of my favorite uh, secrets, because mm-hmm. it's not a secret at all, is there's a machine that you can buy anywhere mm-hmm. on blind or in a, probably any food preparation store called a bag sealer. And it makes Mm -hmm. bags. You take (laughs) Saran Wrap or some other plastic, and you, it's almost like a, 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 it almost looks like a stapler, (laughs) and you uh, conceal a bag. So you can make a three-sided bag of any size you want, and Mm -hmm. you can put blood into it with a syringe, Mm -hmm. and then you lay it across this sort of stapler, and it makes a perfectly sealed square bag. And... um, uh, Uh, that to me is the best trick that uh, I probably have (laughs) because an actor can get it from anywhere. um, And then I've even gotten it to the point where if it's a long, tubular, rectangular, almost like an ice pop, Mm. like a really (laughs) short ice pop, that if you put it in your fist in just the right way and you squeeze with practice from the bottom, so from your pinky side towards Mm the top of it which would be where your thumb and your pointer are and you aim it at your body it will like burp out (laughs) and shoot onto yourself um in a way that i've done uh gunshots and that sort of thing where literally you hold one in your hand and you squeeze it and you hold it your your hand is maybe a foot away from your chest and this splat of blood can just Mm -hmm. squirt out of it onto your chest and be totally believable. Um, So that's one really nice method. I've used super cheap, like, confetti cannons to fill with blood and splatter on walls. Um, So there are a lot of fun, fun, creative ways to do blood effects. Um, The things that are harder... Um, but are still totally accomplishable. I've done water effects at very small theaters. Uh, yeah,
0: so what are some ways of dealing with water It. At- uh, I'm yeah. going to say that the
1: hard part is not getting water onto your stage. It's mm-hmm. how to protect your stage from water, which is where mm-hmm. every theater from the, the least smallest budget to the highest budget fails mm-hmm. um, most often. So they don't protect their stage. They <laughs> worry about how the water falls. But... Um, uh, the some of the be- I've done with, uh, some of the best uh, and most successful stuff I've done has been like in an interior kind of set mm-hmm. where it's raining outside, mm-hmm. and I've done that with um, garden hose. I've done it with holes poked in a PVC pipe, mm-hmm. where um, and a hose that runs directly to a sink and sprays against mm-hmm. a piece of plexiglass window mm-hmm. and runs into a trough underneath to catch it. And that's I've been successful at that multiple times. It's super easy because the most most of the stuff you need is in Home Depot. I mean, there's very high-tech ways of doing rain mm-hmm. and doing it beautifully, but rain against a window is is a simple low-tech mm-hmm. thing. And the way that I've done it, and I will explain this too, <laughs> so if you're looking at the onstage, audience side of the window, it looks like a window. Yeah. But on the offstage side, if you have a piece of plexiglass that's your window, and it's a lo- much higher on the top and the bottom than the window that the audience sees. So there's mm-hmm. space above and below. Mm-hmm. Um, you take your hose or whatever is perforated mm-hmm. that will spray water. And you, you basically press that up against the window so that the water, when it comes out, is just running directly down that piece of plexiglass. Mm-hmm. And then at the bottom, you put a gutter. <laughs> and it just runs past the window that the audience sees but it also um will hu- it will naturally want to hug that piece of plexiglass mm-hmm. and if you're even if you even have more le- room you can angle the plexiglass just a slight bit so that um the water wants to hug it even more so it's mm-hmm. not straight up and down but mm-hmm. slightly angled and the water will run into a trough or run in and then you can do wonderful things that way and 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 I think really successful. I think in tiny theaters, when an audience sees water running against a window, um,
0: it's joyful. What about fire? How often do people have to deal with a lot? Yeah, um, New York. Uh, so yeah, New York especially. A has huge some part day. of my
1: job is is that question, <laughs> um, and the I have, I have a few answers to that. Um, I think that small theaters should not deal with fire generally mm. because. Um, it's dangerous. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that in order to do to do fire on stage, um, you certainly need to... Um, I think that it's worthwhile always to at least have someone come in as a consultant to say that this is okay. Mm-hmm. Every single city and every single state has different rules in this country. So to know what the rules are in the city or state you're in is a complicated endeavor. Um, and... Some of those states are super lax, and some of them are quite stringent. Uh, Chicago is a very strict town. they Their whole city burned down a couple <laughs> times, so they're very strict. Uh, New York has a, a kind of interesting policy where it's an entertainment mecca, so there is a whole division within the fire department who does nothing but approve fire effects. Yeah. Um and um, they are very accommodating and want to work with the entertainment industry. But because they are stringent about that safety, uh, it's harder to do fire and flame
0: and certainly anything above that. And even beyond flame is just a good reminder for anybody who's bringing like a festival piece into New York. One of the big unknowns that I found out when we came in was <laughs> that you have to get everything fire tested before you can load into a that theater, is true. and that's a, a last minute thing that people might not think about. Absolutely. Uh...
1: Um, and I, and so and so, I mean, doing candles on stage. Um, a good a good example is rarely do candles on stage anymore. Um, Ha- they need they need containment mm-hmm. and they need thought process from the origin of where the candle lives off stage mm-hmm. to how it travels backstage to how it gets lit and where it gets lit to the its entire life on stage, both lit and unlit, how it gets off stage and where and so the entire the legend
0: of the candle yes, the <laughs> entire life of that candle
1: <laughs> needs to be mapped. and that's a thing that I don't think is th- is thought about a lot. Um, and is important. It's just it's just important. So fire on stage is, is hard. But
0: I will say that also fake fire on stage... That was going to be my next thing, is what are your best suggestions for fake fire? I hate <laughs> fake fire. Yeah, that's... Because a... <laughs> it's fake. Yeah. And
1: nothing says fire well. Um, however, there are a lot of... Uh, I'm a big... I love abstract, mm-hmm. and so... Um, I would rather have a fake fire that no one tries to pretend is real mm-hmm. and to cry, try and create an um, abstraction from the reality of that it's not fire. So we know it's fire because it's a campfire, but it's blatantly not fire, mm-hmm. and it's something designed to not look mm-hmm. like fire, but to for us to accept that it is fire. I, that, that I like. Um, but in general... There are some amazing flicker candles mm-hmm. out there in the world that are tiny and battery powered that work great. There are some great LED products out there in the world that are, I think, are super inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, there are some new flicker candle ideas that are like it's like a little piece of paper that wiggles mm-hmm. in inside. So- it sort of has a magnetic wiggle that <laughs> you can buy at anywhere. I think any sort of Halloween store or um, you know, online. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon now. <laughs> yeah. That that has a light that's focused on it, so it really looks quite realistic. Um, so, in terms of like fl- small flames, that's super great. Fireplaces are harder. I, I I've done some very successfully that are are not real fire, um, but usually there's a smoke machine involved and a very small one, which mm-hmm. is specialized. Um, and very well placed lighting, and um, I find that often in a thing like a campfire, or a fire, or a, or a fireplace, or um, what is super common, the burning barrel of trash. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. That's a super. That's a super yeah, popular
0: <laughs> uh, effect. Or the garbage can. Yeah, the best <laughs>
1: versions of that are where the flame itself is out of audience view, so you're seeing the flickering and reflection of the lights below sight lines or out of sight lines, and then maybe there's some wisps of smoke mm. that help sell that entire mm. storyline. Um, there are some uh, some things in the world that you can use to, to do fire on stage that um, are inexpensive and easy, but I think without question, you always need to find out what the rules are in your town yeah. and get inspected and um, and be approved by whoever the authority having jurisdiction
0: might be. What weather things, maybe, have you? I've done, done you know, And that people could figure out how to, you know. Uh, wind. Wind is
1: popular. I like fans. I do. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of fans on stage, and, and you don't, uh, that, that's not so noticeable, but it helps to move snow. It helps mm-hmm. to move rain, in some cases. It helps to move fog and smoke. Uh, one of the tricks that I've enjoyed um, and work well sometimes, even like through windows or in the background would be uh, a fan as powerful as you can mm. afford, or as powerful as you can get, and also that your sound designer is comfortable with. <laughs> um, mm. and uh, putting a smoke machine near it, and so uh, and blowing it across the stage so that you have a sort of moving, twisting wind environment that you can see because you can't see yeah. wind um but you can see smoke moving across the stage yeah. and if it's lit right it can be really subtle and really beautiful um i've done i've blown leaves into an open door so that it as if the the fall is mm-hmm. underway um again snow there's a million ways to yes, do how snow how do you,
0: what are the best ways of finding a either a silent fan or keeping the fan silent in those Situations. Um,
1: That's a great question. Uh, Placement on stage is super important. So, where is it on stage and how is that sound baffled? Mm -hmm. So, is it how far off stage can it go? Um, uh, On a small budgeted theater, uh, the fans I mean, I think that there are tons of household fans that do great. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're doing something small and subtle. If you need Beyonce's hair to blow, <laughs> you need an expensive special effects fan. Um, and they make a lot. There are manufacturers of fans that do nothing but blow Beyonce's hair, probably, <laughs> or someone's hair. Yeah. Um, and those uh, can they, those
0: be mounted in the floor? Can yes, like, absolutely, they, they, absolutely.
1: <laughs> and rent, they're rentable. Yeah. And you can. I mean, a, a lot of uh, sort of TV shops. Yeah. Uh, But that's an interesting thing that I always find with theater is um, theater looks in theater stores Mm -hmm. and theater shops. But there are Mm -hmm. shops that cater more to film or television Mm -hmm. or photo shoots. Sometimes they have some really interesting equipment that would work great in theater. And when you call and you say, Mm -hmm. how much does that cost per day? Mm -hmm. Or or how much does that cost? I need it for five weeks. They mm-hmm. will say, well, we rent by the day and it's this much. Yeah. And when you do the math on that much, it's absurd. Yeah. Um, but they sometimes those places are really great to talk to because you can say, well, I'm doing theater and we don't have any money. <laughs> and you've priced this in a way that um, makes total sense if you only needed it for the one day. But yeah. I'm renting it for this long period of time. Can you make give me a deal? And I find that asking that question is smart and often uh, uh, makes you really get an awesome, successful thing. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes a place like that just would love to get it off their shelf for three weeks mm-hmm. and make a couple of bucks on it. And um, so I think it's always worth calling in and nudging. I'm a nudge.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't get what you don't ask for. <laughs>
1: yeah. You have to ask. So, so um so yeah, I, I always think it's worth calling and, and trying to get a deal. I work with a company that uh, uh, called J and M Special Effects that certainly works at all levels and with all people. And in the end, the the goal of that company is certainly to try and help people get what they want. Um, so there's I've heard uh, I've heard some of the people who work there say magical words on uh, on the phone like, "Okay, now I know what you want." And I know that you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So what can you afford? And then make that work, uh, just, just make that work, especially with the uh, theaters, regional theaters that are, uh, supply, that are supplying theater to uh, areas that have little mm-hmm. access to theater otherwise. A lot of companies will really bend over backwards to help those environments because those, that's our future. Mm-hmm. What about snow? Snow, snow. There's a lot of different kinds of snow. Snow is, uh, snow is funny. Uh, So, uh, snow comes in a million different materials that are like paper and shredded plastic and really small to really large. It could be confetti. Um, Maybe focus on what would work in a small
0: house for those 99 seaters. My favorite
1: is the old-fashioned snow bag. So the old-fashioned snowbag is, is two line sets that can move, or one that moves, and it's a bag with slits at one side and another side is solid, and you fill it with snow, and the solid side is, um, is where all the snow sits, and then when you want it to snow, you shake the slits down. I'm sure there's an inter- Look online and find out what, how to make a snowbag. And it's manual. and Want to make a
0: snow bag. That's going to be (laughs) the new lyric for Frozen. (laughs)
1: And so that that is a great low-tech snow effect. Um, There's a thing called a snow shaker box, which is a, um, I'm going to say it's designed Mm. for um, window display Mm. environments, which it's a cardboard box with a motor in it and Mm. like a sort of sieve-like device that you pile Mm. snow on. And then the motor shakes the sieve back and forth, mm. and it drops snow, and it's like four feet wide. Mm. And that's a super low-tech, uh, inexpensive device to make snow, except that it's only four feet wide. Mm. And then from there, there's snow rollers, which are like a a long tube that's filled with snow and has holes in it, and, when, and it spins, and mm-hmm. it drops snow. Um, and then there's these foam soapy snow machines that exist in the world. And I think those are really for like amusement parks or outdoor environments Mm -hmm. where you're shooting this sort of soapy foam all over people. Um, It's not my favorite for two reasons. It's super loud. Those machines are loud. They sound like vacuum cleaners. (laughs) And and to make them quiet, you usually have to build big boxes around them to make them quieter. And um, you have to do testing on your costumes to just make sure that whatever that soapiness isn't stainy Mm -hmm. to whatever the material is. And if you make it snow for a really long time, it gets junk on the floor, and you got to be sort of careful about all of that. Um, But in general, snow is beautiful on stage and can be lit beautifully, and in the end, it always ends up with either some material on the floor (laughs) or (laughs) soapiness in the air. And so how and when you use it is really important and... and, um, in, in some cases, uh, that's the most important part. How and where are
0: you using it? I just thought of one, one that I tried to do a while ago and couldn't figure out a way to really make it work. But what about mirrors on stage as a set piece where we want to see it as a mirror design-wise? A mirror- mm-hmm. I always have up light shine in it, reflects. I, I don't know, I haven't had much luck actually putting a mirror on a set and to the audience having it look like a mirror or see something it's reflected. It know. is
1: absolutely mm-hmm. super hard, and um, uh, I've, I've seen mirrors used a lot in magic tricks. Yeah. But um but to have a mirror on stage, I find that in the end they always spray it down and they always because you're either staring back at the audience or seeing lights yeah. in it. So it, it 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 is really really hard. Um Is there an
0: angle that tends to work? It's or all about angles.
1: So mm. so often you're angling it either towards the floor slightly mm or to, towards one wing or the other to sort of, okay. but you really have to like walk through the entire house okay, and yeah. see what they're seeing. Um, and um, I, d- I don't remember what the show was called, but there was a show that I saw recently that had a huge mirror on the ceiling okay. like sort of came in. Yeah. And that was really nice because in that environment you could see both what was happening on the stage and then sort of see an, a ground plan view of the action on the stage and I think there was a big n- dance number in that that worked really well but it mirrors are hard <laughs>
0: mirrors are very hard for sure and then you actually just tend to my next question was going to be especially for maybe smaller towns where there aren't as many experts available yeah. what about what is a good resource for people figuring out how to do when they need to do a magic trick on stage um, you know, um i
1: think that the best resource oh my god the internet yeah. is is amazing yeah. um uh Magic is hard uh for a lot of reasons yeah. and I'll tell a story that my uh friend Matthew Holtzclaw, who's a magician mm-hmm. likes to say. Mm-hmm. He's doing he says he tells the story during a trick but um when he was 12 he was uh awkward, mm-hmm. not good at sports and nerdy and um he started doing magic in his room and he worked on magic in his room for um the amount of hours that would just make you sad inside and it took him that many hours to become a good magician generally an actor will not want to spend any of that time so magic is very hard on stage a lot of the times when i'm hired to work on magic or work with magicians to get it on stage our goal is to create a magic trick that has nothing to do with the actor doing it so we're not asking Mm. uh, an actor to learn how to do some sort of french drop yeah. with a coin or how to yeah. levitate a thing but we're doing it for him but i do find that there um, youtube is an amazing uh resource mm-hmm. especially for uh people out of town and as someone who learned from uh trying it mm-hmm. um and i did start pre-internet um mm-hmm. uh i think just being really bold and uh and and making choices that are hard, but figuring it out, even if it's not seamless and perfect. Um, if you can figure out how to do a trick that doesn't require the actor to do much, but sell that trick mm-hmm. and be the salesperson of that fact that it's a trick. And mm-hmm. actor reaction is everything in this in in my line of work. If the actors don't believe it and tell the audience that it's happening, it's not. It, it then it mm-hmm. looks like a then it looks like technology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then that's the best. And my, uh, here's a great example. I did a musical, I did Carrie the musical uh, a couple of years ago, which is famously terrible. <laughs> um, and in that musical, uh, Carrie is praying at an altar, her mom's making her, and she makes uh, a statue, a small statue levitate. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about that environment is uh, ripe for being able to do a good levitation trick. Um, And a simple one. And so the way that I did that was um, there was a very tall statue, a tall cross on on the small table full Mm. of little statues and Bible stuff. And from that tall statue was a piece of thread, a black piece of thread, that threaded through a super lightweight, maybe four-inch tall statue of Mm. Mary Um, And it threaded through sort of a very—I literally held that statue in my finger and figured out where the center of gravity was so that when it levitated, it levitated straight and didn't tip or turn. And I drilled a hole through Mary, and I threaded the thread through, and I just put a tiny loop at the far end. So the thread goes from the top of the cross through Mary and then is sort of puddled on the table— And it's a dark scene with candles. And the woman who plays Carrie comes in, and she took that loop, and she looped it through her, in her action, she just subtly looped it through her arm, around her arm, and over her shoulder, and then sat and did Mm the scene with this around her shoulder. And then all she really had to do was lean back just the slightest bit, Mm -hmm. and the tension in that thread from her shoulder to the cross just lifted that statue 6 inches mm-hmm. and made it float in the air and lighting it was all about lighting not lighting mm-hmm. that string and it's this was super simple and it took many hours <laughs> to figure out and i think that's the that that's the the subtlety of it is that that very simple trick that i hope i explained well took Probably four or five hours of just guesswork and talking to the act, the director and the actor and, and, and just coming up with what she's doing, so knowing how to work within her blocking already. And then we tried, a good example is we tried that loop around her ear. So we thought that she could put her hand behind her hair and loop this little thing around her ear, but it hurt her ear. And then we tried to put it over her head. And then we tried it. Also, we didn't know that we didn't have the tall cross yet. We were trying to make that string come from somewhere off stage. Mm -hmm. And at some point, we just realized, oh, we need something to anchor to. And then we decided to put the cross in. So there was a lot of uh, thought about it. But I think just uh, you know, to figure that out was fun, mm-hmm. and um, didn't take a lot of. It doesn't make me a genius by yeah. any stretch, and um, and uh, I got it a lot in a lot of ways by just looking at YouTube videos yeah. at that point and just seeing like how do people levitate things? Yeah.
0: Well, it has been fascinating talking. I would love to get you maybe back on again for some of the other shows. Cool. uh, um, I definitely know. I bet there's a bunch of, like, little small, little independent theaters that are really thanking you for coming on and and sharing some of the stuff. Absolutely. It's been great. Yeah, Jeremy Chernick. Everybody go catch that, you know, underdog of a show that is opening. (laughs) You know, it's... (laughs) <laughs> Just a subtle, small show that no one's heard of. <laughs> Frozen in March. <laughs> and uh, you, know, you rush to catch it. It might not last long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it certainly won't tour everywhere. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.